my first chance to actually try and preach um, for a few weeks in a row. Haven't done that for a long, long time, so I'm looking forward to it. And uh, <laughs> I think Luke and others have done an outstanding job. Really have, really have. In um, in First Samuel chapter 17, you see the story of. Uh, we won't turn there, just stay in Hebrews 6. But there's a, the story there of David and Goliath and uh, where all of Israel is in fear because of one man. One guy comes on the scene and just instills such fear and dread into a whole nation, into a, into a, into a king, into every soldier that is there. And... You get this little guy, David, comes along, just a kid, really, and he says this. He says, let no one lose heart because of this Philistine. Let no one lose heart because of one person, because of one thing that we face. It's amazing how sometimes we can just have one thing happen in our life and it causes us to lose heart. One thing can almost destroy us. <laughs> I'll speak from experience. You know, one thing can come along our way and all of a sudden, bang, it, it kind of hits you. Let's see if this comes up. Hebrews 12 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. I mean, Jesus was facing something pretty significant. He was going to have, he knew what was coming. He knew he was going to be nailed to a cross. He knew he was going to be arrested and whipped and beaten. Uh, and yet it says, the joy. He knew what was coming and yet he counted it as a joy. I wonder if we know what's coming and we know it's going to be difficult, how many of us would say, hey, yeah, okay, this is going to be joyful? I don't think so. I think most of us would want to run and hide and run the other, go the other way. But Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, this is what he says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. To lose heart is to be so sad to the point of utter depression that you lose hope, that, you, that you're full of despair, that you just get discouraged. In um, about November, October, November last year, um, I felt God prompt me to, to preach a particular message or take part of what I had preached once before, several years ago, and, and just take some of that and re-preach it. And as you know, I wasn't particularly well at that time. I just didn't have the chance to preach. And then about seven or eight weeks ago, I felt the same prompting to actually preach what I'm going to preach over the next few weeks. And um, for whatever, I can't remember, I think we were right in the middle of that series. It was hard to interrupt that. And so I kind of didn't, didn't do it. And in some ways, I maybe feel like I missed the opportunity. 
Um, but I feel like I want to do it now. Peter says this, that we live by faith in the promises of God through our knowledge of Jesus. Then he says this, so that we can, through those promises, we can escape the corruption of this world and live in a, with the divine nature of God. In other words, all the benefits, the attributes of God flowing to us so that we can live in those. We can escape the corruption of this world. He's not saying you can escape every bad thing that happens. If that were true, Paul was a complete failure. Peter was a complete failure. Even Jesus had to go through difficult times and you would say, well, complete failure. No, he's not saying that. What he's saying is if we keep our eyes on Jesus, if we live in his promises, folk, our eternal future is guaranteed. But we can live with a trust that no matter what we walk through in this world, God is always with us. Amen? You know, for many of us, we've been hanging out for a move of God either personally in our life or for us corporately or, or whatever. You know, and we, we've been praying for Bill and Lynn, but we've been praying specifically for Bill, for his condition for ages. And we see little incremental change and we thank God for that, but we haven't seen the breakthrough that we want yet. We've been praying for Paul, for his health situation, that we would see a real breakthrough for him, and we haven't seen it yet. We've been praying for other people. I mean, we've, we've lost recently a very dear friend, Farnas, and we were praying for him and trusting God would, would break in in that situation. And uh, for those of you who don't know, actually Farnas, when he was first diagnosed, with that cancer, he actually, his prayer was, God, give me another year. And he had, I don't know, 20-something months. So he actually had, God answered his prayer, and he had more. But that was a difficult thing for all of us to go through. You know, Kevin's in hospital now. <laughs> We've been praying for him. He's in good spirits, but we've, Need to keep praying for him. You know, the, the world's in panic at the moment with this coronavirus. Did you get enough toilet paper? <laughs> Good grief. I mean, you, you don't use it. Is that what you said, Pete? <laughs> but the world's just, it's just gone crazy because... You know, okay, it's a serious thing, but it's, people are in panic mode, you know. You can have stuff come against you that just wants to rob you of confidence where you begin to lose heart. You know, under, for us as a church, just being transparent, we're, we're under some financial pressure right now. I mean, some weeks we don't have enough, there's not enough comes in on a Sunday to even pay our rent that we, pay, that we have to pay here, let alone all the other costs and stuff. So, I mean, that, that can rob you of confidence. We've got to keep our eyes on Jesus, amen? The challenges that are there that are very real, but if we keep our eyes on Jesus, 
If we stay focused on him, he will give us the ability, the strength, the power to walk through any circumstance. I believe Bill's going to be healed. Amen? I believe Kevin's going to be totally well. Let's, let's have a look here. Hebrews chapter 6. Because we need to know, folk, as a people, we need to know what to do when it seems like life is just going awry. When things aren't working out the way that you really hoped they would or wanted them to, how do you cope? How do you keep? How do you stay sane in a world at the moment that seems to be going crazy? Look here, verse 13, Hebrews 6, 13. It says, When God made his promise to Abram, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you, and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Verse 16, Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said, and puts an end to all argument. You know, there was a time when you, if, if, if you took an oath, um, people expected you to honour it. If you had to go to court, as a witness and, and go into the witness box, they would give you a Bible to stick your hand. I don't even know if they do that anymore, but you'd have to put your hand on a Bible, put your hand up and swear an oath that you would tell the, whole, tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You swear an oath that that's what you would do. In Bible times, people would take an oath. They would make an oath with one another or sometimes they would make an oath before God. And it was a serious, serious thing. There used to be a time when a man's word was his bond, when you could trust what someone actually said. I mean, these days people can go into court, they swear an oath and then they go and lie. It's like truth is just, well, who cares? Verse 16 again. Men swear by someone greater than themselves and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. Verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus who went before us has entered on our behalf. That we can be greatly encouraged because God has taken an oath. Look at verse 15 again. It says, So after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. What was promised to Abraham? An heir. A son. Many of you have been waiting for something. God's given you a promise, or God's given you a word. And you've been holding on to that and you've been trusting for that to come to pass and you've been hanging out, waiting and waiting and waiting. And it seems sometimes like it's not happening. It seems like, God, where are you? 
And by our natural human reasoning, it, it, we can almost come to the point where we think, God, you've vanished, you've disappeared, you've abandoned me. Do you know that Abraham had to wait 25 years for that promise? Can you wait for 25 years? 25 years. In fact, from the time that God first made that promise to Abraham until God spoke to him again was 15 years. 15 years you're waiting and, you, and, and God's not saying anything more about it. Here, I told you this. This is what's going to happen. This is my promise to you. And then year after year after year after year, 15 years go by before Abraham hears God say anything more about it. That 15 year, you know, God, God makes him a promise. 15 years later is when Abraham has that encounter with God where God says, hey, come outside and look up and I'll show you the start. 15 years. He still had to wait another 10 years before his son was born. <laughs> and we get so impatient when we're waiting for a coffee. <laughs> or toilet paper, yeah. 25 years. Uh, I mean, we, we know what he did. He, he actually got a bit impatient. And he goes and, you know, has a son, illegitimate son, with his, with his wife's... Well, not really illegitimate, because in those days he could do that, but... But it wasn't the son of promise. He jumped ahead. And yet despite that mistake, Paul says in the book of Romans that Abraham is the father of our faith. In fact, he says without wavering in his faith, he trusted God. That's, that's an amazing state. Did Paul make a mistake? No. Paul knew exactly what he was saying. Even though Abraham had this little moment where he thought, I can rush ahead and help God. You know, we all want to do that. We want to rush ahead and help God. You know, we think, man, if I just pray a little bit harder, I can help God get this thing done. <laughs> Verse 19 again. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Abraham believed because he had an anchor. He had a trust in God that despite how long it took, God was going to come through. Josh, you go fishing, you got a boat. What does your anchor do? Eh? Keeps you in one place, anchored. That's what an anchor does. You and I, folk, have an anchor for our soul. I, just, I, I don't have an anchor. I was going to get Josh to bring his anchor, but I do have a rope. You should have a chain, really. This is the best I could come up with. This is what happens to your anchor, anchor rope. It always gets tangled up. Here, take this, Josh. 
Stand up on that chair. Stand up on the chair. This is, this is what we have, folk. We have, hold it up high, don't, don't stand on it. We have an anchor for our soul that stretches beyond this time-space world, goes through a natural atmosphere and goes through a, into a spiritual atmosphere, back into something that is very real. It goes through into heaven, behind the curtain. It goes into the heavenly temple, into the holy of holies of heaven, into the very throne room of heaven. And it is attached there. And that chain, that anchor can never be broken. I've got a flimsy little rope here. But that anchor that Jesus has established can never be broken. And it's linked to every promise that Jesus has made for you and I. Thanks, man. Look at verse 17 again. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his promise very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. You and I are heirs of what was promised. Because now this is going beyond Abraham as an individual. This is now speaking to every single person who is in Christ Jesus. Because we are all heirs of the promise. And he has made general promises to every one of us, but he's made some specific promises to some of you. And we are anchored. Why did God take an oath? For our benefit. Because, think about it, folks. Who takes oaths normally? People who are prone to lying. Yeah? And so we are made to take an oath to say, we're going to make sure you don't lie. God cannot lie. He didn't have to take an oath for his benefit. He's not forgetful. He hasn't forgotten the promises that he has made. He took that oath, and it's written here in Hebrews, for our benefit, so that we could know that God will never, ever, ever forget that promise. He will never forget what he has declared over you. And he has so connected you to that promise that from his side it will never, ever be broken. The cross of Jesus is an eternal reminder of God's commitment to you and I. When Jesus entered the most holy place in heaven, he took his blood that would eternally represent you and I and he poured it out on the altar of heaven. It wasn't blood tainted by human sin. It wasn't blood infected by selfishness or greed. It was pure blood. Poured out for all eternity. Glorious, untainted, life-giving blood of Jesus. It speaks 
on our behalf every single day. That's what's in that glory room. And that is what you're connected to. That's why Paul's able to say this. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through, through him, the amen is spoken to us by the glory of God. Every promise is in Christ. Everything we need for life is in Jesus. And we agree that there, there are a number of different meanings to the word amen, but there are four primary ones. How many of you knew that? Most of us think there's just one. Huh? Amen? What do you think it means? I've cheated. I've got it up there. So be it. So be it. Let it be. Let it be. But, but, but that word has kind of become just an ending to a little prayer that we might pray. You know, we tack it on the end because we think that's the religious thing to do with no real understanding of what it means. So be it. Every promise that is in Christ Jesus, let it come to pass. And I say, yes. I say yes to it. I am tied to that promise that is in Christ. It also, it comes from the root word that means truly in Hebrew. Truly, truly. So not only does it mean so be it, it means Truly, truly. Or, you know, when Jesus speaks some of those parables, he says, verily, verily, if you've got a King James Virgin, or truly, truly. That's what it means. Truly, truly. So when you say amen, it isn't, ah, uh, let it be. You know, Mother Mary comforts me. Let it be truly, truly. Yes. Definitely. Definitely. God cannot lie. It was used um, when people took a pledge or a vow. When they made a promise to someone else, they would end it with amen. Truly, truly, this pledge I make to you. There's another meaning. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the Amen. So it isn't just, let it be, so be it. It isn't just truly, truly. The Amen is a person. It's Jesus. <laughs> it's Jesus. So every promise is yes in Jesus, truly, truly, because he is the end of all things. He is the promise. That's why Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The promise is there in you. It's a statement about Jesus Himself. There's another meaning for this word, um, and it's this. It was a word that was used um, as a statement of submission. 
Now, in the context of this, where every promise is in Jesus, and we say, truly, truly, let it be yes to Jesus, that statement of submission is this. I agree, and I submit myself to every one of those promises. It's not talking about submission for you as a slave. It's talking about you binding yourself You tying yourself to that anchor point. Every one of us needs an anchor point for life. We tie ourselves. I bind myself, God, to your promise. I bind myself to your goodness. I bind myself to you. I am tied to you forever. And that that tying to your promise, that tying to who you are, stretches through this time-space world into another realm. That should give us great confidence. That's why, it's, that's why it's written like this in Hebrews. It should give you great confidence so you, you don't lose heart because no matter what happens in this time-space world, this one isn't affected. You have an anchor for your soul. Our friend Farnas understood that. That's why he'd said such confidence. That's why he was at such peace. Fear didn't have a hold on him because he had an anchor for his soul. Amen? Let's just look at this again. Um, For no matter how many promises God has made, they yes in Christ, and so through him the amen is spoken to us by the glory of God. And in this, now God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ, He anointed us. Who makes you stand firm? Who enables you? Your self-effort? Yours. But you know that can only happen as we submit to him. As we tie ourselves to his strength. Paul says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. That wasn't a natural thing that happened. It happened because Paul tied himself to who Jesus is. And he kept exchanging his weakness for God's strength, for Jesus' strength. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Three things there that God did. Number one, he anointed you. Say, I'm anointed. You are. Do you really believe that? What is the anointing? It's the supernatural enabling of God upon your life. Oh, I can't do anything. That's a lie from the devil. That's an absolute lie from the devil that you are repeating and echoing. You know, your your mouth has power. Your words have power. We've got to be very careful what comes out of our mouth. I don't ever want to align myself with the lie of, of Satan. And yet, for many of us, we find ourselves doing that very often. We don't even realise that we're doing it. But we align ourselves with him and we actually give him power over our life. You've got to reverse what you say. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. That's what needs to come out of our mouth. Amen? Remember, what is amen? You are tying yourself to that promise. So don't just say amen or amen. Say amen with an understanding of what it actually means now. (laughs) 
Calm down, Tony. Gotta keep your ticker going. He anointed you. He set his seal of ownership upon you. You're a child of God. You're not a victim. You're not a victim of circumstance. He put his spirit in you. The Holy Spirit. Get the Holy Spirit. Not an unholy spirit. The Holy Spirit. That means he had to do something in you in order to dwell in you. He made you holy. He made you righteous. One of the things that keep coming into our minds all the time is accusation that we're not good enough, that we're not righteous enough, that we're not holy enough before God. And you know what it does? It robs you of promise. It robs you of promise. It's trying to break the anchor chain. Trying to rob you of hope and destiny. But no, my destiny has got nothing to do with my self-effort. My destiny has to do with the fact that I am eternally linked to Jesus. set his seal of ownership on you and I. What do those three actions show us? We be- number one, we belong to God. He has tied himself to us. But you know, if you don't willingly tie yourself to him, his promises can just be a big long list that you have on your fridge, but you don't live in any of the reality of them. We need to tie ourselves by faith and submission in the Amen to the one who is the Amen. That's Jesus. Amen? What's the result? No matter what comes your way, you're anchored. You're anchored. Every year people make New Year's resolutions vow to do a whole lot of stuff, be a better person. We even do it towards God. Um, most times people fail. 99, 99% of the time people never achieve what they have saying they want to do. You know, do you know that God doesn't actually care about that stuff? <laughs> I don't know if you realise that. He, he knows exactly where we're going to fail and what we're going to do. And it doesn't worry him because the promise isn't linked to your performance. The the promise is eternally tied to an invisible realm. It goes beyond the curtain. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. So Jesus has already entered on our behalf. And now something else enters, follows him. What is it? 
the hope you have in him. Where's your hope? Where's your hope? So often we put hope in other things. We put hope in money. We put hope in people. We put hope in a, in a church. We put hope in, you know, in our pastor or, 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 or in our job or in a whole lot of things. But our hope has to be in him. It has to go beyond this visible realm into an invisible realm. It enters the sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. We're anchored. We're anchored to the one who is the promise. You know, Moses had to lead a bunch of grumbling people through a desert and try and keep them focused on the promise that God had made. And, and he experienced incredible things. I mean, amazing miracles and a whole lot of, you know, Red Sea opening and water coming out of a rock and food falling out of the sky and just a whole lot of miraculous things. But he gets to a point where he says, you know, God, I can't, I can't keep doing this. Despite all of these incredible miracles, I can't do any of this anymore unless your presence goes with me. Unless your presence goes with me. Folk, we, we need to know the presence of God. And I'll tell you one of the reasons why it's so important. Because that tangible touch reminds you that you're anchored to something. Moses had all these other things going on, but he was holding to the promise of a promised land. and said, the one thing that's going to keep me going, the one thing that's going to keep strengthening me, that I know, that I know, that I know, that I'm connected to that promise, is your presence. David, David knew that. He, he writes this. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. That was the one thing David wanted. He just wanted to live in the presence of God. He wanted to know God intimately. He says this. For in the day of trouble... He will keep me safe in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high on a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Every time that David felt hopeless, every time he felt like his enemies were out to get him and they were trying to kill him, he went back to a place where... God, I know I need you. I need your presence. I want to spend all of my time in your presence, in your tabernacle, in your temple. Do you know the amazing thing, though, is that David wrote this before there was ever a temple. He wrote this before there was a tabernacle. Most scholars agree that David probably wrote this psalm 
when he was hiding in a cave, afraid of his life, afraid for his life, because Saul was out to kill him. Do you know that David had to wait 15 years to become king? From the time that he was anointed, David, you're going to be king. Announcement made to everyone, you're going to be the king. 15 years. Eh? Not quite as long as Abraham, but long enough. And in fact, the promise was, you're going to be king of all Israel. Not if you know anything of Israel's history, but Israel had divided. They were a split kingdom, north and south at war with each other. And so David becomes king after 15 years of this promise. He's still got to wait another seven and a half years before, the nation, before he becomes king over all of Israel. 22 and a half years. But he hung on to a promise. What kept him going? He knew the presence of God. He knew how to tap into the presence of God. He wasn't a perfect man. Made mistakes. But he knew he was anchored. He knew he was anchored. You know, the the reality is that the vast majority of people don't live with that kind of awareness. They don't live with that awareness of the presence of God. Uh, life with all its busyness and pressures and everything just crowds in on us. And, but, but probably more than that, our minds get filled with such negativity um, from the stuff that we see and that we hear. You know, this, this whole latest virus thing, people in panic. Why? Because it's being drummed into their heads. What happens over time is your soul starts to feel crushed. And, and what we tend to do as a natural thing is we, we start to put up barriers to protect ourselves. We all do it. You know, you, you can do that with God and not even be aware that that's what's happening. You can put up barriers that kind of hold him off at arm's distance. And most often people do that because they're fearful of him because they don't feel they're good enough. They don't feel that they qualify for God's presence, for God's promise, for God's blessing. David made a whole lot of mistakes and he knew it. And yet he never allowed it to cause him to run away from God. He always ran to God. Peter Denied Jesus, made a mess, and yet something dramatic happened. Jesus spoke into his heart, and suddenly, Je- suddenly Peter has a promise that he wouldn't let go of. Overshadowed, anointed, just like you and I, anointed with the presence of God. In fact, so anointed that people thought, man, if we can just get close enough to this guy, Something of him is going to rub off onto us. If we can just get near him when the sun's shining and have his shadow fall on us, we can get healed. See, Peter was anchored to something. He was anchored to a promise. 
Paul lived in that place. I mean, he, he gets to the point that says, you know, the only reason I'm hanging around here on earth is because of you. Because I'm, I'm ready to go. I want, I want to be in his presence. You know, as much as I love you guys, I want to be in his presence. So I'm hanging around just for your benefit. That's, that's what Paul says. But he lived with such, the, such a tangible level of God's glory on him that people would bring him handkerchiefs just to touch and then take them away and put them on people and they would get healed. I mean, that's a whole other level. Eh? How is that possible? He knew who he was anchored to. God's given us some promises, folks. He's given you promises. He's given us promises as a church. Sometimes he would do that in a dream. I have a vision. Sometimes it comes through just you reading the word of God. Sometimes it'll be a prophetic word that someone may have given to you. You know, the Bible even talks about having trances. We kind of... Uh, that seems a little bit occultish and a little bit weird, you know. You know, Peter had a trance, fell into a trance, uh, Acts chapter 10, it is, and he gets called to go and preach at a Gentile house, Cornelius, Roman centurion, right? It's not a Jew, but he believes in God. And Peter goes and he's wrestling with this whole thing. What am I meant to do here, God? Because, you know, these people aren't really good enough, you know, and it says he's up on the rooftop praying and he falls into a trance and uh, God shows him in this trance, this, this vision of a blanket coming down full of all, all different kinds of food, including food that he as a Jew couldn't eat. And then God says, eat it. He says, oh, I can't do that. No. And suddenly he realizes he, he, gets, he, he gets an understanding of what it is. He says, once God makes all things lawful, that's it. The gospel is for everyone. It's not restricted to those who think they're holy. It's there for everyone. And Peter goes down and he starts to preach in that, in that house with all the crowd there and the Holy Spirit comes and bang, there's revival, there's chaos. There's, the presence of God just fills that place. I've had, I've had three times where I've had, don't freak out, three times where I've, had a, where I've been in a trance. Who was that lady? Um, Maria? Was it Ed or? Would, was it her? Or was it Amy Simple McPherson? One of those two ladies, big tent crusade meetings, and she was preaching. And I mean, there's stacks of people there. And she's preaching, and she gets to this particular point, and she puts her hand up, and she makes a point, and she freezes. And for three days, she's frozen in a trance. Three days, not speaking. Thousands of people come over the course of the next three days just to look at her. What's going on? There she is. Didn't say a word for three days. Do you know that thousands of people got saved? without a word being spoken. 
So we, we, we kind of think some of those things are freaky simply because we've never experienced them. But three times, once in India, 1996, uh, 1994, 1996 in Adelaide, I was leading a meeting, and uh, first song, Presence of God just came. Everyone's just on the floor. And, uh, and I sat down on the side of the stage, and I couldn't move. And I was there like that for about 20 minutes. I just, I could not move. In India, we'd been doing some ministry, and, uh, and I, I just stopped and I went and I stood against the wall and it's like the wall became magnetised and I just got stuck to the wall and I couldn't move. And then once in, more recently, a few years ago, when we were in Malaysia, I was flat on the floor, couldn't move, and I was completely oblivious to anyone or anything around me. Same thing all, all three times. Just, you're just not aware of anything else. It's just like you and the presence of God and God begins to speak. And God spoke some very clear, definite promises to me personally, for Robin and I and for us as a church. And I'm not going to give you all the details of those things. But time and time again, I've had prophetic words. In fact, the most recent, just two weeks ago, as I was having having uh, coffee with, with some other pastor friends. One of them just prophesied again over me and just reiterated stuff that he wouldn't have a clue about because this was only the second time I've ever met the guy. He knows nothing of my history. And I'm talking about stuff that God spoke to me way back in 1994. And he nailed what God said in 1994. See, God's given every one of us promises. He's spoken things into your life. And from that day, the devil's been on a mission to rob you. From that day, he's been trying to steal the seed of greatness that he's put in you. And I want to tell you, it's true for every single... There's not a single person in this room that that is not true for. The devil tries to rob you. Your own insecurities can sometimes push that stuff down so deep that you think, well, it's gone. It was just my imagination. Do you know that your imagination was given to you so that God could speak destiny into you? so that you could dream. He is able to do far more than we can ask or think or imagine. So don't discount your imagination. Don't think it's pie in the sky. It's God speaking into you. There's some wonderful promises that God's given to every single one of us. No matter how many promises God has spoken, they are yes in Jesus. And we say, Amen.
Don't let the devil rob you. Abraham had to wait 25 years. David had to wait 22 and a half years before he saw the complete fulfillment of what God had spoken. Paul vanished for 15 years. <laughs> waiting. What did he do in the waiting? He prepared himself. He prepared himself. David prepared himself. Abraham, I believe, prepared himself. Like we shouldn't, we shouldn't just sit back apathetically and passively, just, oh, well, whenever it will happen. We shouldn't be on a mission to try and hurry God up and run ahead and do stuff ourselves, but we still should be preparing ourselves. I'm going to start a course, in, and it isn't, just open slather, but I will just, I'll announce it because I'm going to, I'm going to do a course in, in, we're going to start it in a few weeks' time um, on how to preach, how to, how to prepare yourself and how to prepare a message and know how to preach it. Some people think, oh, well, that's just a natural thing. No, actually, there are skills that you can learn to actually to, to be able to do that. If you feel God's calling you to preach, it's not open slather for everyone, and we probably have to vet who, everyone who runs and puts their hand up, but if you feel that God's saying, hey, God's calling me to preach, think about it. Think about it, because I want, I want this to go out to as many people as possible who really feel that God's called them to preach. We want to equip you. Don't, don't just sit there and wait and think, oh, well, one day it will happen because God's promised it. No, actually begin to get ready. Prepare yourself for it. Amen? So, when you've been hanging around, waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and it doesn't seem like anything's happening the way that you want it to, you're not getting your breakthrough. Remember who you're anchored to. Remember who you're anchored to so that you do not lose heart. Amen? We've only just started, but that's enough for today. Actually, just close your eyes. Holy Spirit, we thank you. Thank you for the incredible promise, Jesus, that you have not just made and spoken to us, but that you have tied yourself to us. And we tie ourselves to you for eternity. Not just that we can go to heaven one day. But we are tied to a promise that is eternal that will have its manifestation here on earth in our life. That we live abundant life. That we live in the fullness of what you 
died to give us, Lord Jesus, that it's not some far distant thing, but there is a fullness of life that you want us to live in now, today. Lord, we, our, our cry is like that of Moses. Lord, let your presence go with us. Lord, it's a cry of David's heart. Lord, we want to dwell in your presence all the time. Lord, Father, where, where, where we've, where we've um, feel like we've gone dry, Lord, where we've, we've unknowingly just backed off from you, where we've allowed other stuff to come in and, and just to confuse us and, and clog up our well because you've put a well in us of living water that if we draw from that well, there's sustenance that's there for us. When we learn how to draw from it continually, it becomes a river that begins to flow out of us and touch other people. Lord, we want to live in that place where we're drawing from your well, from your promises every single day. So where the devil has come to rob us and he's lied to us, Lord, we reject that. We remind ourselves this morning that we are eternally anchored to you, safe and secure, Lord Jesus, to your promises. And we pick those promises up again today. Lord, we don't let them go dormant. We don't let them die. We see them revive today in Jesus' name. We see every attack of the enemy that has come to lie and to rob and to steal, to be nullified as we walk in the life-giving wonder and presence and glory of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We remind ourselves today of the things that you've spoken to us, Lord God. We remind ourselves today. We remind ourselves of your goodness. We take a hold of it. We take a hold of the reality, Lord Jesus, that we can know your presence. Even now, as we just sit here, let your presence just rest on every person, Lord. Let your anointing just rise in this place. Teach us, teach us, Lord Jesus, how to be more and more sensitive to you. That we can step into that glory realm so easily. Anchored to your presence because I'm anchored to your promise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Man, I want to ask you to do something this week. Why don't you go home? You can do it straight away this afternoon. Just, just go and write down five promises that God has spoken to you. And he's spoken dozens to all of us in terms of general promises. But I want you to just go and write down five specific things that God has spoken to you. I was so encouraged when I was with Kevin this week he proudly showed me his journal. He doesn't normally show that around or boast, but he has got this big, thick book. All the things that God has spoken to him. Who would have thought that about Kev? There it is, in black and white. You can see it. I mean, pages and pages full of verses of Scripture, full of the things that God has spoken to him, full of promises. He drags out a prophetic word that Luke gave to him 
I don't know how, 10 years ago. Hey, read this, read this. I read this every day. Excited with the promises that God has made. Don't let the devil rob you. Go and write them down, folks. Write them down. Have them somewhere where you've got ready access to them. And then just during the course of this week, why don't you go and find some promises, general promises that God has made about you as a believer. Write them down. Make a list. I could give you a list. I could give you a list of 30 of them. But I want you to look for them. Do some work. Find what God has promised to you. Amen? Bless you. Bless you. Have a great week. If you need prayer for anything, please do. Happy to pray for you.